Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. All right, Joshua chapter 1. Now, Father, we want to commit our, our new study of the book of Joshua to you. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts, help us to grasp the wonderful principles and truths that Paul the Apostle tells us through your Holy Spirit, that these things have been written down for our uh, edification to help us to understand this great salvation which has come upon us, upon uh, who walk in the fulfillment of the age, as your word says. So thank you for this time. We ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of Genesis, Israel is born. The book of Exodus, Israel is delivered and set free. The book of Leviticus, Israel is brought near through blood sacrifice. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is really two sermons from Moses summing up the entire Exodus, uh, in Deuteronomy, Israel is instructed. Now, in the book of Joshua, Israel must conquer and take possession of what God has promised is theirs. This is yours. Now take it. Now, God has been setting his people free and bringing them into now a place of rest. And Joshua is the second part of that equation. Um, Joshua is the first of 12 historical books. So we're in a new genre of books. Now we've left the Pentateuch, which means the five books. And Moses is the author of those five books. And now we've gone, gone into the historical section. The 12 books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra, no, yes, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. All right, and so Joshua starts that. He's the bridge. Now, the story that came before, speaking of First Corinthians ten, where Paul the apostle says, "Look, this is history, but with a twist. This is your story." And you will see yourself with these Jews in the wilderness. You will, you will learn about your great salvation because God is, in essence, painting a picture through true historical incidents of this fulfilled salvation. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do, and here's a picture of what it looks like. So being rescued from evil Pharaoh and the slave pits of Egypt is really culminates with the rescue, uh, our rescue from the devil and the slavery of sin in this world. And of course, we've been over this many times, the Passover lamb that saved by his blood, our Passover lamb, Jesus, who saves us by the cross. The parting of the Red Sea is a symbol of our Christian baptism. The manna that came from heaven, the bread that came from heaven, Jesus said, that would be me, the bread of life. If any man eat of this bread as it were, he will live forever. The cloud and the pillar, uh, symbols of our guidance of the Holy Spirit, the rock that is struck, that bleeds, life-giving water, and Jesus will say, I am the rock. And he was struck, and from Jesus, eternal living spring of water that gives life. And now, so, but perhaps the biggest deal of all was the wilderness wanderings as lessons for us. You know, and all of its torturous detours, uh, the consequences of sin and unbelief. We just identify. I mean, who hasn't, I'm sorry to say, danced around a golden calf of some kind and reaped the painful consequences? 
Who has not spit up some quail through their nostrils? Sorry, you have to know the whole story there. You know, they wanted meat. They were complaining about the bread from heaven. He says, you want meat? You're going to have quail. And they had so much quail. It says they, it came up through various and sundry orifices here. <laughs> All right, moving on. So, but who hasn't? Who, be careful for what you desire. You know, I remember Jack Hayford said, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it works the other way too. Delight yourself in sin. Keep pursuing the wrong thing. And God will eventually give you over, not because he doesn't love you, but because he wants you to learn that that's not the answer. And so when I'm saying by who hasn't spit up their quail is who hasn't complained about the Christian life to say, this is boring, I want some of this, and God says, okay, here's some of this, and we spit it out. So we identify. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, let us not set our hearts on evil things as they did. And Joshua is included now, not so much in the redemption, but in the acquisition of God's promises. And so how we are going to uh, live in God's promises. Now, the promised land, um, to talk about what's waiting for us in Joshua, as far as teaching examples of New Testament Christianity and salvation, the promised land is, is not heaven, promised land is not a type of heaven because there is no fighting and warfare and conquest in heaven. Rather, the promised land really is about grasping and living that abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10. To become everything you are supposed to be in God's blessing of the Christian believer. That he says, that here are all your blessings. I want you to, to inherit them. I want you to fill the border up all the way and complete that and embrace that. F.B. Meyer, wonderful scholar, Bible scholar, commented and said um, that the Old Testament book of Joshua parallels the New Testament book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians just outlines in such lofty, heavenly language all of the blessings that are in Christ for us. And uh, really, the book of Joshua, if it's going to mean something to you, it's principles of how am I going to fully grasp and live out these wonderful blessings. Well, what am I talking about? The abundant life in John 10. I would say that sweet peace that guards the Christian heart. That perfect love that casts out all fear. A prayer life that actually produces results. The desires of your heart granted. Power over sin and the tyranny of self. Living without worry. Enjoying a clean conscience. Loving and satisfying relationships. Contentment in all things, hope that sustains you, grace that upholds you, love that inspires you. The joy of seeing God establish the work of your hands and the confidence that comes as having God as your father and the assurance of eternal life. These are your spiritual blessings. This is your inheritance. And many, many Christians will die in the wilderness, they will end up in heaven, but they, they didn't enjoy the fruit of the promised land that they could have because they failed to do the very things that, that the book of Joshua will teach us to do. To aggressively pursue and conquer the things that stand in the way of everything I just listed. And unfortunately, though salvation is free and has nothing to do with you, uh, sanctification and the enjoyment of all of God's riches and blessings in Christ depend on a fight. Paul called it the good fight. At the end of his life, he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. Well, what do you mean you had to fight? I mean, salvation is free, right? He had to fight because there's a devil and there are demons and the world is a Christ-rejecting place. Not to mention the own sinful, rebellious nature in our own hearts. 
And so if anybody's got some symbolic thing going on here in Joshua, the Canaanites, the Amalekites, sinful nature, they must be subdued. And the zero tolerance when he says, go in and you will not leave one Canaanite alive. Lying, stealing, lusting. The promised land is about full possession of the heart by Christ. That's what it's about. And if you follow Joshua and, the, and you listen to the teaching here, you'll be able to enjoy your Christian blessing all the more. Now, uh, the first thing we see, it's going to be Joshua leading the way because you can't get into the promised land by keeping rules and being good. So Moses has to be out of the way. And now who, who's leading the way? But here um, in Numbers 13, 8, he's called Hoshea. Joshua's original name meant salvation alone. And in Numbers 13, Moses renames him Yehoshua, which means the Lord saves. And then in the Greek, that would be Yesu. And then in English of the Greek, you get Jesus. So who's leading them into rest? Well, the only one who can lead anybody into rest, Jesus. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. And so Moses is going to be off the scene now, and Joshua leading the way. So as we dive in now to Joshua chapter 1, know this, that the book is divided into two sections. The first half, uh, chapters 1 through 12, is the seven-year conquest. It takes them seven years to subdue the land and make it their own. The second half from 13 to 24 is really detailed uh, partitioning of the land and, and uh, really, from chapters 13 to 24, that second half, uh, really is one teaching. So we're not going to go through those uh, that dozen of chapters because it's line per line for each tribe, the delineation of their borders. And so there's a couple teachings there, but certainly not chapter by chapter from 13. So if you have skipped ahead and looked and said, Dear Lord, what's he going to do with that? Um, <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> and so it's going to go fast with really essentially 12 chapters, the conquest of Canaan. We've got three military campaigns, 30 enemy armies to defeat. So let's get started. Joshua 1, 1 through 9, a well-known and well-loved portion. This is worthy of all refrigerators. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful." Have I not commanded you? Isn't it God who's speaking to you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, you know, I always say, you know, that's my favorite scripture. But, and no one believes me because I always say this is my favorite scripture and it always changes. But that's my favorite scripture <laughs> for tonight. <laughs> now, so we're at a new book, but it's the same story. In the Hebrew, the first word 
of the book of Joshua is and. It's just picking up where we left off in numbers, really numbers at the end of numbers 34. Just picking up the same story. Redemption begins in Exodus, and now it must reach its completion in Joshua. And they will. In seven years, it will be their land. So Joshua, number one, if you're taking notes, Joshua is called and commissioned by God. And then Moses dies, it says, the great servant of God has passed from the scene and the Lord speaks now to Joshua. Moses is with me now, so you demand, Joshua. That's what he's saying, really, in modern day speech. So number one, God, it, God's work goes forward. God's work never ceases because it's not dependent on man. The faces change. Men of God come and go. Kingdoms rise and fall. Churches start and grow and become humongous. And then they fall apart, some, some of them. But God and his work continues on. I like Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so in the Old Testament, you're going to have Noah and you're going to have Abraham and you're going to think, well, who's like Abraham? And then you're going to have Joseph and you're going to say, well, who's like Joseph? And then you're going to have Moses and you say, who's like Moses? And then you're going to have Joshua. And then you're going to have Gideon and Deborah and Rahab and Elijah and David. And you're going to say, who's like David? And then you're going to always have somebody like Daniel. Then in the New Testament, you're going to have Peter and Paul and Mary. Whoops. <laughs> That's some of you old-timers, Mary and Joseph and Stephen and Philip and Timothy and Barnabas and Apollos, just to name a few. And in contemporary times, the D.L. Moody's and the Billy Graham's and the Franklin Graham's and the Greg Laurie's and all of these names, and they get old, and they grab the pulpit in their old age, and people got to hold them up. And then what happens? They die. It happens. Ten out of ten of us. It's the new stats, as I like to say. And what does God do? Well, no, the work stops. No, it goes on. Leadership is passed on. And though he's uniquely gifted and called, he's gone. And you can almost hear it by the way God is taking nine verses to encourage this guy, Joshua. His pale face, his knocking knees, you know, and, but God is unfazed. Here, you know, Joshua and Israel are obviously dismayed. You think about being, having Moses around all the time. Whenever there was a problem, Moses and Moses would look up and God would talk to him face to face. He had a shine on his face. He, he put his staff down upon the Red Sea and boom, it parts. His word got results. God would tell him what kind of plague was coming next and he would say it and it would happen on command. And now what? And then Moses is dead. Oh, well, it's all over now. That's the silliest thing to ever think. That because one man is out of the picture, that God's work stops. He picks up, he passes the baton, he raises people up. That's what God does. And so he's encouraging uh, Joshua by saying, listen to how, how unfazed he is. Um, Moses is dead. The baton goes to you. Let's go, get everybody ready, uh, chop, chop, three days from now you're crossing the Jordan and you're going to take the land. And you can almost hear Joshua's gulp, like, are you kidding me? Moses is dead and you're, and you're saying, you're, you're talking to me and he's turning around, are you sure you're talking to me? Because Moses is Moses and I'm just Joshua. God never wants you to be 
Moses, when you're Joshua, he wants you to be Joshua. He's not interested in us being somebody else. He's interested in us walking with him and being faithful. And he uses us according to who we are. And it's really not about our strengths anyway. It's about him. Now, Joshua's timidity is really healthy. Uh, you know, I, I'm a seminary professor part-time. I teach only one class. And I s- sat on a graduation board where we evaluated our graduating students. And uh, so I'm sitting there. And one of the students last week was just two weeks ago was... We evaluated him, and he had such a lack of confidence about preaching and ministering. And he just said, Chess, I just can't bear the thought of making a mistake from the pulpit. It's God's word. And everybody at the table affirmed him and said, that's bingo. You're called. You're supposed to have a fear and trembling about living for the Lord and representing him. That is a healthy, uh, not not an unhealthy lack of confidence, but uh, uh, knowing that your competency comes from God and not yourself. You can have a lot of confidence in yourself and ruin your life. Proverbs says, he who trusts in himself is a fool. You see? And so uh, his timidity is okay as long as you don't uh, hesitate from obeying God because of it. It's healthy on one end. And uh, so really he's just, he's learning that it's not just, uh, uh, he doesn't have to be Moses. He can just be himself. He's got a lot going for him, Joshua does. He's really been adequately prepared. Uh, You know, he was 40 when the Exodus started. So how old is he? He's 80 He's going to live to 110, so he's no spring chicken. He's 80 years old. He's almost as old as Doug Mossberg. (laughs) Well, did I? Okay. (laughs) Whoops, I didn't mean that, Doug. He gives me a hard time. Every time he sees me, he comes up to me and he says, Oh, Pastor, whoops, should I get out of your hair? So never mess with a guy with a microphone, Doug. (laughs) All right, so moving on. Josh is born in the slave pits of Egypt. He and Caleb, you know, are the only two who are going from the first generation into the promised land. So he knows the power of God. He's got a lot of courage. We've seen him heading up the army as a general, fighting off the Amalekites there in the wilderness. But perhaps most significant of all about Josh is right there in verse 1 when he says he's Moses' servant. Uh, for 40 years or, or so, he learned how to be humble, submissive, and loyal. He, be, he, he learned how to become great Jesus style. Jesus said that true greatness comes from serving the great ones among you are the ones who serve, Luke 22 and 26. So I like what J. Vernon McGee said about Joshua. He said, Joshua shows that a man of average ability may become a leader in the church. Joshua receives his calling not in flames of glory, but from an older man who knew God and knew Joshua and saw that he was fitted by God to be a leader. And so God calls and commissions Joshua and he's shaking in his boots, and so he needs a little bit of calming and encouragement. So that's number two. Number one was Joshua called and commissioned. Number two is Joshua calmed and encouraged. So A, first of all, Josh has to know the goal. And so the promised land boundaries are quickly given from the desert to Lebanon, from the Euphrates to the Hittite country and the Mediterranean Sea. And last Wednesday, we showed a map. Now, interesting, if ever a guy should feel validated about timing, it was me last week. Because last week, I said, look, folks, we're going to talk about borders for nine verses, and it's not boring, because the whole world hinges on these borders right here. Though it's the size of New Jersey, the whole world is glued on this one thing. Thank you for supplying me 
I've never had to use it. It's the very first time. Delicious. <laughs> Wednesday, I say, everywhere is Israel. This is in dispute. That includes Jerusalem. This is where they are now. They're crossing over this way, across from Jericho. Where's Jericho? They're about right here. They're going to cross over here, and God says, every place you place your foot is yours. Well, this is all disputed, and this is disputed. So I say this on Wednesday. Thursday. Thursday, the day after, I said, look, it's on the front page. President Obama makes a speech and says, you know what we Americans think? We Americans think you ought to give this all up and go back to the borders before you won this occupied territory and give it back. Therefore, this will no longer be Israel. Neither would this. It would be Palestinian. Jerusalem would not belong to Israel. It would not be legally Israeli territory. The day after, Netanyahu said, no can do. We will never do that. Netanyahu said, because our land, and I heard this with my own ears, goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 4,000 years ago. We can't do anything about the borders. Well, eventually it seems in Bible prophecy that somebody is going to compromise. Somebody's going to come into the scene, the Antichrist, and he's going to say, I got the solution. And Israel's going to make a deal with him. But then he's going to break the deal. And then all hell will break loose. But for us to see, us talking about, listen to me, <laughs> 30 400 years ago, these words were penned. 3,400 years ago. And President Obama is talking about it this week. There's a God. The Bible is true. There's a heaven. There's a hell. And Jesus is coming. Amen? Amen. That's all, all it is, is by looking up there. What if there were no Israel to talk about? And all we're, we're, all we're seeing is words in a book about this place called Israel, but there's no Israel. That would be really sad. <laughs> but there is an Israel, despite all the odds against her. And so he says, uh, you know what? He's saying, uh, you're not, here are your borders. There are going to people, be people who are not going to be happy with that. But I want you, this is your land. Spiritual application? You're to be a Christian. These are all your blessings. There are going to be people not very happy. Your own wicked heart is not going to be very happy about it. The world, your friends, your family are not going to be very happy. You're going to have, I'm sorry, President Obama's in your life that are going to say, you know what, I think you need to go back just a little bit to where you used to be. Just give up a little bit of land and you'll notice that that is where they could die. There are two places from where they get launched attacks, from the very places they don't secure as their own. So it's the very same spiritual application. Thank you, Joey. Is is that, listen, for every place that you give a little bit of a break, that's the place you're most vulnerable. That's a lesson here from the book of Joshua about living the Christian life. So Joshua is calmed and encouraged as he knows the goal and he relies on now the presence of God. And I love this. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Stop being afraid. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Here's the pattern in scripture so that you uh, don't feel uh, like you're not normal. All right. Listen to Moses story. Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I can't do this. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? 
Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you. I will help you. I will speak. And I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, oh, please, Lord, I can't do it. Send somebody else. And the Lord's anger burned. He said, what about your brother? The Lord doesn't like it when we say, I can't, I can't, I can't. He's saying, I'm not asking you to deliver. I'm asking you to cooperate. I will be with you in this task. A huge lesson for Christians. It's not about your own strength or your effort and the man who wills or the man who runs, but God who gives the increase. Listen to uh, Judges 6 in Gideon. The Lord said, listen, I want you to go, and in your strength, I want you to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Isn't that me speaking to you? Same, exact same thing he just said. But Lord Gideon said, how could I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a kid. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a kid. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my word in your mouth. Over and over and over again. I can't. God says, Really? No kidding. You can't. What are you telling me you can't do things for over and over and over again? Paul the apostle said, I finally get it. I delight in my weakness and insults and persecution. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God kind of likes my brokenness to show off. Because everybody around me knows, well, I couldn't be Gideon who's saving the Israelites. It had to be something more than Gideon. And so he likes when we're in our Gideon weakness where we don't have to say, oh, it's because I, was, I went to seminary or I have this ability or I have good genes or whatever. It's nothing about that. He says, I'd rather take somebody like a Gideon who will just uh, cooperate with me and walk with me faithfully and watch what I can do with Gideon. And that's what he does with us, a, a real secret. And he says, I'm with you. Kind of, listen, it's all about his power in cooperating. I have a little story. I've shared this once before. Uh, We were living in San Francisco. Uh, PJ had a very good Sunday school teacher uh, who was encouraging him to share the gospel with bad guys. So PJ, about four at the time, would say, Dad, I need to share the gospel with the bad guys. So I said, well, you know, PJ, everybody's a bad guy, so go ahead and share. But he wanted to share with a real bad guy. So he kept asking me, and it was always the question. And one day we were at Dolores Park, and there were some guys selling weed by the bridge. We used to walk by there, and they go, over here with a little baggie. And PJ had said that morning, when are we going to go tell some bad guys about Jesus? <laughs> so I said, PJ, I see some bad guys. <laughs> so I take him by the hand. He goes, he's so excited. <laughs> and I said, you ready? And he goes, I'm ready. I'm going to tell bad guys about Jesus. <laughs> so we go over to the guys, and they light up. Oh, we got somebody who wants to buy some weed with a little kid. <laughs> oh, no problem. They think I'm ready to go. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. Now we're up with him. And I said, uh, he's got something he wants to tell you. This is a, I said, hold on. And they couldn't hear him. So I pick him up and I hold him. And I said, go ahead, Peter. And I look at him and he looks at me. Not a word. 
just staring at me. And the guys who are selling pot, they're like, uh, could we move this thing along? So I whisper in PJ's ear, God loves you. He goes, God loves you. You're not doing the right thing. You're not doing the right thing. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I went on like that. Those guys melted. Melted. Well, what would you do to that? I mean, that's kind of an odd thing to encounter. I don't think they were thinking, you know, that was going to happen in the transaction. So listen. This is what he's saying. God the Father picks us up, puts in our mind and into our mouth his words. He's holding, he's sustaining, he guided to the moment, he's speaking. It's his word. They're not your ideas. It's his prompt. You freeze up and then boom, he gives you the words and puts it in your mouth. Did it matter that PJ was four, couldn't drive a car, didn't know that there were bad guys on the corner? No, I knew all of that. And I arranged it. This is the lesson. Cooperate with me. I'll do the work. You cooperate. That's your job. So the spiritual correlation, you know, take what is yours, live every promise, enjoy every blessing, because I'm with you. If God is for you, who could be against you? The problem I have um, with exhorting Christians to claim the promises of God, here's my problem, is for some reason or another, Whenever you talk about living as a child of God or a child of the king or claiming your rightful inheritance, Christians' minds inevitably go to material gain. What is that about? It is so wrong. Whenever I say you should live into your privilege and claim your blessings, I'm talking about things like, you know, immediately somebody will think of Jabez's prayer because it's about gaining, gaining, gaining. How about the Lord's prayer? The Lord's prayer that taught you how to praise God and how to submit to his will and to be content with daily bread and to be a good forgiver. And to overcome sinful temptation. What about gains like that? But right away we start thinking, you know, bank accounts and houses and my influence and all of this. So when I say, Christian, you need to claim your promise and enter your spiritual heritage. I'm saying, could you become more like Christ? Could you develop a deeper prayer life? Could you be more kind and loving and helpful in the home? Could you honor your parents more? Could you die to yourself more often? These are the things that you never hear people claiming. Oh, I just claim that cross for myself (laughs) right now. I just claim that I crucify that desire and die to me. I just claim that. No, we claim other things. But we don't claim holiness and godliness and effective evangelism and all of that. So much. I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm just saying our tendency. Well, time is getting away, so I've got to kind of move along. Know the goal, Joshua. Rely on the presence and love and obey the word of God. And so now, in verses, what, 7 and 8, we get the fine print. Uh, but only God's, God's fine print is right there. He doesn't put it in a little tiny footnote. He says, oh, by the way, to maximize your acquisition of your blessings, uh, it is contingent upon something that you do or don't do. You see, now it's all about the word of God. He said, you know, you may end up in heaven, but you may fall short of enjoying those wonderful promises along the way. And that's really the lesson. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that it's all about the word of God as we see in the New Testament, especially in our study of James. Number one, he says, look, do you want to be prosperous and successful? Then know the word of God, 
talk about the word of God and do what it says. Those are the, that's the summary there. I'll make a comment about each one of those, and then we'll close. Now, Jesus said, if uh, he said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I was watching Survivor the other night, a couple of weeks ago, and um, one, there's a, uh, a, a guy who's playing the, the game, who played the game, it's all over now, uh, he's born again Christian, and people were getting saved on the show. And one of, he gave a Bible to one of the guys on the island, whatever. He's reading it, and he just opens the book, and he says, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he says, That is beautiful. He said, I've never read the Bible. Right there on Survivor. So many of you probably saw that. I was sitting there going, wow, this is awesome. Well, at the end, he gives a testimony that he's going home now as a believer, and so somebody else. But this is the verse that nailed him. Now, so it doesn't surprise me about the word of God being key, uh, contingency on whether or not you enjoy your spiritual heritage. So he says, know the word, talk about the word, do what the word says. I'm going to open up with you and explain something about me that might shed some light uh, on particularly my little, I wouldn't call it a tirade, but my little pet peeves that I listed on Sunday uh, in relationship to how they don't jive, in my estimation, with the Word of God. I was in a charismatic church. In fact, when I got saved, I was a part of a charismatic church for four or five years maybe longer. I was at a charismatic church and I was on staff and one day the pastor was preaching and there were a lot of things that troubled me about the church. Uh, One day he was preaching and he took the Bible and he said, we don't worship the Bible. And he threw the Bible across the room. Now, to my shame, I didn't get up and take my wife and my little three kids and leave. Instead, I went to him and I said, if you ever do anything like that again, you'll never see my face again. But he did. He did things like that. Not quite as bad, but things that were very abusive and very sick and twisted from the scriptures. Not all charismatic churches are like that. A lot of charismatic churches love the Lord and they're well-grounded, but I was in a church where there were many abuses I love the Word of God. I live to, to preach it accurately. And everything that we do in this church comes back to, can we find it in the Word? Does it have scriptural foundation? Is it decent and in order? And so coming out of that, I have sort of... Um, Maybe an attitude about uh, craziness out there. It just, I, I have zero tolerance for it. The Lord is working on me to be able to not come off throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, so sometimes I do get a little bit of an attitude and a little get, I, I offend people who have a charismatic nature when I myself am a charismatic uh, because I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, but in decency and in order. And uh, so all of that to say, he says, know the word. Um, and, and by the way, he said, we don't worship the word of God. Uh, I don't agree with that. Jesus, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God, Revelation nineteen thirteen. The word worship means to prostrate before, to submit to. Now, if... If that's the definition for the word of God that I love and adore this word, I bow to this word as its relationship to the living word, Jesus. Obviously, I don't worship a book. I worship the word of God as it is incarnated in Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? I would say, this is what the Bible says, Psalm 138, verse 2. For you have magnified your word above all your name. 
You have magnified your word above your name. Psalm 138 and 2. I just can't say enough about the word of God. So he says, Josh, know the word of God. I know you're in a veritable a Bible encyclopedia these past, past 40 years. You've seen everything. You get it, but you have to know it and you have to not swerve from it. Now I'm going to read you just a little clip from a news article about swerving. In interviews with investigators, witnesses to the gruesome bus crash that killed 14 people in the Bronx over the weekend said the bus had swerved suddenly to the right and flipped onto its right side off Interstate 95 and onto the shoulder of the highway. The bus careened into a signpost. The pole, which stood about 480 feet from where the bus hit the guardrail, sliced through the upper half of the bus, leaving a tangle of bodies, metal, and shattered glass. Know the word. And he says, don't go right or left. Here are your lanes for life. You want success and prosperity? Here are your lanes. Do not swerve to the left or to the right. One little swerve, and you get a tangled mass of bodies. 25 to 30 years, I have had to untangle a mass of bodies, mass of uh, bad marriages, and all kinds of problems, because there was a swerving. You know, generally I drive safe, but one, this one time I just swerved. The one swerving, one time. I try to tell people this. They never believe me. One swerve can kill you and destroy everything. One swerve. Now, now, do we all have to live like crazy people? No, but you got like, I don't know, six lanes. Could you just stay in the six lanes? That's a lot of room. You know, I want you to have the fear of God on you because he says, look, Josh, I want you to enjoy everything I gave you. And you're not going to enjoy that if you're into Swerving. Watch it. And so, know the word, don't swerve. Talk about the word. Think about it night and day, you know, like Psalm 1. He says, you meditate day and night. This is the man who shall prosper, who's thinking. So, really, the second point here, thinking day and night. Inner disciplines will produce outer prosperity. First, you got to do the work on the inside. That's where everything begins. Philippians 4, chapter 8. Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. <laughs> There's not eight chapters in Philippians. Verse 8 says, Whatever things are good and excellent and worthy of praise and right and true and just, think about the word of God, and the God of peace will be with you. Fill your minds and your hearts. And then he says, talk about it. Why does he say, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth? Why? If you're going to be an effective Christian, you must be speaking his words. Not psychology so much. Not, not um, your opinions. Not something out of a textbook. You have to be speaking the word of God. Not in an obnoxious way like Jim Bob Walton did. Just now we were watching the Waltons the other night. And Jim Bob was underneath the car. And the car fell on him. And he was spared. So he, he decided to become a preacher. And so he started memorizing scriptures. And through the whole show... He's so obnoxious. Every time Mary Ellen or John Boy says anything, he'll say, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. You know, it just, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when the conversation goes south, you'll have a word to say, you know, the Bible says we should only speak edifying things. When a friend says, I don't know what to do, you say, well, I know the Bible says... How are you ever going to have any impact at all in your family, with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your grandkids, if you're not speaking the word of God? So he says, if you're going to inherit all of this wonderful promise, know the word, think about it a lot, store it away in your heart, and don't let it stop coming out of your lips. The last line is, and do what it says. 
do what it says is pretty important part of it because uh, we saw that in James, that if you can know the word, but you don't act upon it, um, you just deceive yourself. Everything depends on living it. It's easy to hear. It's easy to know. And you have no idea how easy it is for me to stand here and tell you about it. It is so simple. It's a gift. It's an ability. It's a passion. It's so simple. It's like knife through warm butter. It's just so easy to tell you. And then I got to live. And I got to get in that car and I got to go home to the real world. And I have to put it into practice. It is hard. But he says, if you fall short there, you won't. Inherit the promises. You'll have to put it into practice and not just quote it, preach it, memorize it, know it, meditate on it. Stop short at the doing part and you ruin everything. Uh, Really. So, you know, why is that so important? Last little illustration. You know, three-legged races. He says, you know, you yoke up with me. You join me. And we got to get into a stride, you and me, the Lord speaking. And so if you're not in stride and in cadence with the Lord, and you, let's say, now you're joined to the Lord, and I brace yourself, it's a little strong language, and you, you, you join yourself to the Lord, and you're in cadence with him, and then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, and then shall I join myself to a prostitute? Try to run a three-legged race with the Lord of holiness with whom you are wedded. You are spiritually united to him. And he says, if you're going to inherit the promises, enjoy the land and everything I have for you, you've got to learn to walk with me in my stride. So if you're in stride with the God of holiness and then you're doing your sexual immoral thing, it's dangerous. Not only do people not in sync with each other, with the three-legged race, look humiliated, they look Silly and stupid, but it's dangerous. You could break something, you know, when you're not in stride. So you're in stride with the Lord and you're gossiping or you're, uh, you're, you're stealing something that doesn't belong to you or you're living some secret life or, or you're cutting corners. He's saying, <laughs> you're not going to be blessed. You're not going to enjoy the fullness of what I have for you. So that's why. You have to know the word. You have to think about the word day and night. You have to be speaking the word. And most importantly, you have to do the word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you just for talking to me tonight. And Lord, I heard your voice and I just want to acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is here and you're working and You're touching our hearts. You are the real, true, living God. You hear us. You're present with us even now. So we pray that you take these truths and just hammer them in, knit them into the fabric of our souls so that they become a part of us so that we could inherit all that you have for us and enjoy it. Oh, God, I don't want to get there and realize, oh, I could have enjoyed so much more if I just would have cooperated in greater ways. And that's all of our hearts, Lord. So thank you for your great love. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.